Welcome back to another episode of the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. Eli. And guys, we're back with uh, actual baseball to talk about. The Orioles have played four games. Are you feeling like it's baseball season now? The weather's starting to turn here in Maryland. Are we Are we feeling like it's baseball season now? It feels right. I actually, I, like, on the last weekend of spring training, I got down and it was just the Cardinals and the Nationals. So not really a game I cared about, but I got some lawn seats. We kicked off the shoes, sat in the grass in the outfield, and it was just beautiful. Uh, and I feel like it's baseball season. Nice. Yeah. Jesse, how about you? Are you feeling like you're uh, going to be going to a ball game here soon? Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see, uh, given the situation with the pandemic. But I am I should be getting vaccinated sometime soon. Um, so that would make me feel a lot, uh, you know, more comfortable going to, uh, see and see a game. Yeah. I, the same thing, cause we're both in Maryland. So they just opened up to like our demographic here last week. So I've registered as well with the state and we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes, but Eli already got his, uh, his shots. I just got my first shot today. Florida opened up to 18 plus, uh, two days ago on the fourth. And I found an appointment as quickly as I could. So, nice. Yeah. Feeling good. I'm not, I'm not quite ready to do what the Rangers did where they had 50,000 people in the stadium at the same time. I'm nope. That concerns me a little bit, but <laughs> I feel, I do feel like vaccinated going where the Orioles have the, the 25% capacity, the social distancing. I feel pretty good about that. So um, we're excited. Although the game I've got my eye on right now is in August and the tickets aren't on sale yet. The, uh, the JJ Hardy induction want to go to that. So uh, mm. we'll, uh, we'll see only games through May are on sale right now. I was going to say, you're not going to wait all the way till August to go to an Orioles game though. Are you? We'll see. I don't know. Having the mm. baby, it does make it a little more difficult. I want to take him, but I don't know. The whole situation is a little precarious still. So We'll what is the point of even having a baby if you can't share baseball with the baby? I'm going to share the baby, the baseball with the baby, but it's the pandemic. I don't want to share that with the baby. So the baby hasn't gotten pandemic. vaccinated. Right. And I don't know when he will be able to get vaccinated. Yeah, stick that's... a couple of needles in his arm. <laughs> yeah, right. He doesn't even have all of his regular vaccines just yet. So I'm not sure if they're going to pump him with the, uh, the J and J just yet. Right. Anyway, non non COVID stuff. Let's talk some baseball. So the Orioles got the season off on a on a good foot in Boston, taking all three of the games against the Boston Red Sox. They uh, they won on opening day. What was it? Was it three nothing on opening day? Was that the opening day? And then four yep. two, and then eleven to three on um, Sunday. And uh, it looked pretty good. I mean, did you guys have any general takeaways? We're going to get more specific on our observations of the series here in a little bit, but did you have any, any general takeaways from the, uh, the weekend up in Massachusetts, Jesse, maybe do you want to go first? Sure. I guess the first thing I would say is the bullpen was extremely impressive. The pitching in general was impressive for the most part, but the bullpen was really outstanding. They didn't allow a run the entire series. Every single person that came out of the pen was effective, did their job. Uh, I guess the scariest thing was Valdez saving the second game that he pitched um, in game two. But uh, other than that, all of the bullpen was great and it was really encouraging to see. And then, of course, how can you not talk about Cedric Mullins uh, after the first series? So that was the other giant takeaway from the from the series. But yeah, the pitching, the pitching really 
held down. We'll see how the Red Sox lineup is this year, but they definitely have some good hitters in the lineup. Uh, Martinez, Devers. So the fact that the Orioles were as effective as they were holding some of their heavy hitters and containing them to a minimum, that was really good to see. So I, I was encouraged. Yeah, I mean, you kind of named everything. Eli, do you have anything yeah. else that you observe? <laughs> Jesse kind of broke down the whole series pitch by pitch, you know, but um, I also feel good. I think just the biggest thing to me was, you know, you talk about teams that you should beat, and for the Orioles, there are kind of none of those. But at the same time, we beat the Red Sox the way that you should beat a team that you should beat. Um, you know, they were clean games. They were never really in, you know, a huge amount of doubt at any point the entire way through the series in any individual game. So, yeah, actually inspired a lot of confidence. You know, we're not a 100-win team now suddenly because of this performance, but feel good. Yeah, definitely. I think it answered some questions about the team. I think that it showed that some of the starting pitchers are at least viable that we weren't so sure about and it also for the Red Sox I think raises a lot of questions about them they might actually not be a very good team this year they were last in the AL East last year they're missing Chris Sale Um, they're missing Eduardo Rodriguez for the moment so you know they like you said Eli the Orioles kind of beat down on a team that is that is down at the moment but then the Red Sox bounced back and won their first game against the defending AL champion uh, Rays so you know, the Orioles might be a little better than they expected. And the Red Sox might also be a little bit worse than people were originally anticipating, which was about a 500 team. They might be more down in like the 70, 75 win range. Okay. Well, the Orioles got dropped right back to reality in the first game of the uh, series in the Bronx, losing seven, nothing to the New York Yankees. Uh, the offense did next to nothing and the pitching held up through the first couple innings before Giancarlo Stanton smacked a 116 mile per hour grand slam into the New York city night. Um, 471 feet. Yeah, it was a bomb. And it was right. I mean, Sean Armstrong threw it as down the middle as you possibly could. (laughs) And Sean Armstrong doesn't throw hundred miles per hour. So that's not where you want a a low nineties fastball to, uh, to end up, but I don't know. It's one game. Can you guys make any sort of, was there anything about that one game that has changed what you would maybe thought you knew from the Boston series we talked about the tiny bit of confidence that we got from the starting pitching in the Boston series and then we immediately got pulled back to earth seeing Jorge Lopez go out there I think like you said he was fine for a couple innings but yeah we're gonna have a very very difficult time putting together a string of five inning starts even and actually as we're watching as we're recording Dean Kramer went three plus today before walking to bases loaded in the fourth so you learn that when you're not facing the team that came in last in the AL East last year, that you're going to have a little bit more trouble. Fair. Jesse, any differing opinions? Uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit, just kind of in the tone. I mean, definitely the, the pitching is not going to be stellar. We all know that. Um, but I wasn't as discouraged, I guess, as Eli a little bit sounded. Jorge Lopez... He had, a, like he said, he had a good first few innings. He ran into trouble against a very good Yankee lineup. Obviously, walking a bunch of Yankee hitters is never a good thing to do. Um, and it did have really big negative consequences for uh, the game last night. But with that said, and Kramer coming out today, I mean, we're playing a very good hitting lineup against the back end of our rotation. This is kind of what I expected. Uh, The fact that Lopez 
you know, just threw a few innings last night and Kramer tonight doesn't mean that I don't think they can give us five or six moving forward against not as good offenses. So we'll definitely have to see what happens, but it's the Yankees. It's the back end of this Orioles rotation, adding those two things together. I'm not that disappointed. Yeah. I mean, it's one game. You can't draw too many conclusions from it. I think one thing that we all were texting about last night was uh, Brandon Hyde's management of the bullpen last night uh, in New York. Jorge Lopez was coming up on facing the Yankees order a third time and Hyde stuck with him anyway. And then he got himself into a jam that Sean Armstrong then could not get out of. Now the order's lineup did nothing. So that move ended up not really making that big of a difference, but you never know, like, if the, or, if the Yankees aren't – if Giancarlo Stanton doesn't hit that grand slam, it might change what Aaron Boone's thinking on his side. Maybe they do some things with Jordan Montgomery. He Maybe he comes out an inning earlier. You know, so I didn't love Brandon Hyde's decision to stick with Jorge Lopez. I think that maybe John Means has earned that, that ability to stay in a third time against an order. Jorge Lopez I don't think has, and I think Hyde needs to pull the string a little bit earlier. So we'll see. It'll be something to, to, to keep an eye on is Brandon Hyde's bullpen management, because I think that's maybe a storyline for the entire season is Brandon Hyde's future with the organization. Like the Orioles are starting to turn that corner a little bit as a club where they want to get closer to winning game, care more about winning games than developing talent. And they got to make a decision if Brandon Hyde is the guy to lead the major league club. So his job is definitely on the line, I think this year and it's potential. He's not the manager in 2022, not guaranteed, but I think that's, something to watch throughout the summer to, to go along with that. I mean, I've always kind of had questions about how Brandon Hyde has managed the bullpen last year uh, and early this year already. I've had uh, questions about it. Obviously you can't really object to anything with the Boston series. Uh, for instance, uh, the bullpen was scoreless, so nothing to really talk about there. Uh, but with the Yankees lineup, the the biggest thing, yes, letting Lopez face the order the third time around was definitely a big question mark. The bigger question mark that was very, very strange to me was that Aaron Judge came up uh, with two outs and with runners on first and second base. And at that point, he was two for two, I think, had hit the home run and Hyde made the decision to let Lopez stay in the game to face Judge. And, of course, hopefully, uh, he was pitching around him. He ended up walking Aaron Judge. And then Hyde went out and took him out for Aaron Hicks. So, to me, it's, you know, if you let him face Aaron Judge, then why are you pulling him? Either you take him out for Aaron Judge and, or Aaron Judge and Hicks, or... You let him face both of them and you have confidence in him that he's going to get through the inning, but letting him face the more difficult hitter in a dangerous situation and then pulling him out for the weaker hitter that did not make any sense to me. So uh, that was really strange. I don't know if the bullpen wasn't ready. I don't know if Armstrong wasn't loose yet. I don't know what happened, but I, I feel like that would be the only good explanation for that, that decision. Yeah, it was a weird one because I maybe would have understood if they brought in Paul Fry and then you you turn Hicks around and I think from the right side you don't you think Hicks probably isn't as big of a threat but that wasn't what they did and also going making it be Armstrong the first arm out of the bullpen there after he's fresh off paternity leave was an interesting choice I don't know it was weird all around of course mm-hmm. and he he's trying to get settled in and we have other bullpen pitchers who haven't made an appearance yet too that he could have gone to so. 
Yeah, it's it's strange. And there's an argument to go to Tanner Scott there just because it's potentially the biggest spot in the entire game. I know right. you want him to pitch in the eighth and the ninth, but bases loaded or, or first and second with or first and third with judge up, that's I don't know when there's gonna be higher leverage than right there. So there's an argument there too. But yeah, we'll, we'll keep you know, we'll keep an eye on it. That's gonna be something all summer. Bullpen management is is one of the most difficult things a manager does. So um yeah, we'll keep our eyes on it. Uh let's go back to the starting rotation for a bit. And I'll just run through real quick the numbers on the four different starters we have. Like we were saying, Dean Kramer is pitching or was pitching as we were starting to record this episode. We're not going to include him. Opening day, John's, John Means went seven scoreless innings, got the win, one hit, five strikeouts, zero walks. One of the best opening days by an Orioles pitcher of all time. Uh, Matt Harvey followed that up with four and two thirds innings, six hits, two earned runs, one walk and four Ks. Obviously didn't qualify for the win, but still put the Orioles in a position to win the game. Bruce Zimmerman followed that up with six innings pitched, four hits, three earned runs, a walk, and five strikeouts. He did get the win in the Orioles' blowout uh, of the Red Sox. And Jorge Lopez on Monday night went four and two-thirds, allowed four earned runs, three hits, three walks, and five strikeouts. It did feel like he pitched better than that, but Sean Armstrong came came in and could not uh, get him out of the jam. So, you know... It's it's one start, but what I think we could probably talk about is, you know, how how you're feeling basically this first trip through the rotation, maybe what you're buying, what you're selling, you know, who do you believe has showed that this is the real them this first time through the order? Maybe Eli, I'll go to you and maybe specific performances you think are real and other ones maybe you're not buying so much. Yeah, I think the first one that I really cue in on is John Means. And, you know, it's not necessarily the stat line. You know, we know he can put up good numbers sometimes. But the thing that made the biggest difference to me is last year you saw John Means come out. And I talked about it and I got really excited on this podcast and it didn't necessarily go well. But you saw John Means come out that was chucking 96, that had a larger curveball, was using that curveball more. You know, he had altered his pitch repertoire and was trying to sort of become a different pitcher. And if you look back at the highlights of this game, you see a heck of a lot of 82, 83 mile an hour changeups fading away from the bat of a right-handed hitter. You know, you see some fastballs riding in at 92, 93. It, it looked more like a return to the form and the style of pitching that we had seen from him in his all-star rookie year. And I think that's the thing that excites me most is just because, you know, he might have you know, maybe up to spin rate a little bit still, you know, use some of the physical improvements from the previous year and integrated those into the original style of pitching that made him successful at the big league level, uh, rather than trying to become someone else entirely. That was a really, really encouraging performance for me. Uh, Matt Harvey, you know, I actually thought he pitched a little better than his stat line shows. He had that sinker riding 92 to 94 pretty much the whole game and really looked pretty effective. Zimmerman, I'm going to kind of hold judgment on just because it's his first start. He looked good, don't get me wrong, but we'll see how it holds up over the course of a year. You know, he's going to, it's going to be an increased workload this year. It's going to be facing new big league hitters that he's never seen. You know, he might've had the benefit of the doubt of them having less video on him as well. Um, I think that it's best to reserve judgment on Zimmerman, but those first two starts were really encouraging to me. For sure. Uh, Jesse, what did you see in those first, uh, the first trip through the Orioles rotation? I mean, Eli kind of hit on everything. Uh, John Means was marvelous, of course. In hindsight, I'm glad that Brandon Hyde didn't have the headache. Uh, well, 
I'm I'm glad that Means gave up a hit to the first batter so that uh, Hyde didn't have the headache of trying to figure out, oh, no, he's going six and two thirds. He hasn't given up a hit yet. What do we do with the bullpen? Do we let him pitch? Do we let him throw 110 pitches to get going through all those uh, scenarios? That was fortunate. He didn't have to do that. Means, of course, throwing a one hitter, no matter who the offense is, that is still a great performance these are major league hitters and i agree with what eli said about harvey bruce zimmerman i'm definitely reserving judgment i i still have to see more and if i had to guess i don't think he's gonna be our number three starter every start throughout the rest of the year but the thing i did really like about what he did was his pitch efficiency after the first four innings he had thrown 40 pitches I think he had thrown 71 by the time he was taken out of the game in the sixth, and they were a breeze of 71 pitches. He definitely could have gone in inning or maybe two more, two probably a little later in the season, probably not the first start. But uh, regardless, he really did a great job, and we'll see if he can repeat it moving forward. And I'm not getting, I'm definitely not getting over overconfident uh, with his start because there is plenty of regression that is definitely possible from this start but it was encouraging to see and if he was our five pitcher and he generally had performances comparable to what he did I'd feel very good about it moving forward the big question for him is whether he can keep his command and his location because he doesn't throw very hard and if if he's not uh, locating the hitters are gonna start making contact and probably heavy contact. Yeah. I mean, Zimmerman also got the benefit of pitching in a game that the Orioles were winning by a lot early. And that definitely allows you to kind of get into cruise control a little bit, throw pitches that you want to pitch. Uh, even, you know, you don't have to force pitches against good hitters. You can kind of let the game come to you a little bit, which is huge, but you know, he still pitched really well. If he pitched six innings, three runs every single time, it's a four and a half ERA. It's not going to win you a Cy Young, but It's going to keep you in a major league rotation, especially one like the Orioles that I think even despite some of the good things we've seen is going to be scrambling for innings throughout the summer. But I do think that this trip through the order or through the rotation does kind of prove the Orioles can at least survive a few months before guys like Bauman or Wells or Lothar are ready to come up and be a part of the mix here in the starting rotation. And that's really all I'm looking for is for a guy like Harvey or Lopez to kind of get us through two or three months before we can see some of the reinforcements come in and then means, you know, I'm not ready to say means is one of the top 30 pitchers in the league, but if he can get near that stratosphere, that kind of changes the math on what the Orioles potential is, because if you can just turn to a guy every fifth day, that's going to give you six or seven really good innings. That makes the bullpen's job a lot easier. That makes the offense's job a lot easier. And if you can win scoring three or four runs versus having to score five or six runs, you're obviously going to win a lot more ball games. So We'll see. Means is awesome uh, so far, and there's a lot of reasons to think he will continue to be awesome. We will keep an eye on that for uh, the rest of the summer as well. The thing about his performance, too, that's really encouraging, like you were saying, if he can be a guy that every five days goes out and gives six or seven solid innings, um, it really has the potential to break up any losing skids that the Orioles might encounter. Just psychologically knowing, okay, we got means on the mound tomorrow. You know, we're, we're, in, we're in this game. Even if we got blown out because our back end of the rotation pitched horrible, gave up six runs in the first two innings. Well, we got means tomorrow and he can get us out of this funk that we're in at the current moment. So 
Yeah, which as we record this episode is the exact mindset we're kind of in. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of ironic. But yeah, you're right. It does make you feel a heck of a lot better. Okay, so let's talk about the guys that come in after the starters. The Orioles bullpen uh, was really, really good in Boston. As Jesse said, they didn't allow a single run. Uh, Cesar Valdez saved two games. Tyler Wells came in and made an MLB debut. Uh, the Rule 5 pick threw a scoreless inning. Adam Plutko was especially impressive after uh, Matt Harvey had uh, kind of got knocked out of that game, uh, game two, he bridged the gap between Harvey and the back of the Orioles bullpen. Then, you know, the New York game was a little more difficult. Clearly Armstrong struggled, Paul Fry struggled, but Max Gareller was impressive. Ben McDonald's nephew through two and two thirds scoreless uh, innings, got out of a bases loaded jam, which included striking out Aaron judge, which was really impressive. So, you know, Eli, maybe I'll go to you again to get just sort of your impressions of the Orioles bullpen. Again, guys, you, we're impressed by guys. Maybe you think you're a little bit worried about uh, moving forward. I think that the first person I should talk about is Adam Plutko. Like he came in after Harvey two and a third scoreless is about the most valuable thing you can do out of a bullpen. He came in and a, in that fifth inning got us out of a little bit of a jam and then just ate up two more innings. We're talking about the starting rotation as something you know, as a group that's probably going to have some short outings, having that bulk arm in the bullpen to get you to the guys who can only throw one inning is just about the most valuable thing. That might be the single most valuable thing that anybody could provide on the Baltimore Orioles this year. It's just a little bit of length out of the bullpen. You know, we're going to need that consistently. And moving past him, Max Garoller coming in and just I mean, he kind of blew me away. Like Tyler said, you know, to strike out Aaron Judge, (laughs) you know, with the bases loaded in your first MLB at bat as a pitcher is just astounding. His little splitter change up, we were debating what it actually was. I don't quite remember. Either a splitter or a change that he throws. It's got some really, really nice fade to the arm side. And it's got a good like eight, nine mile an hour difference from its fastball. I think that has the chance to be a seriously effective pitch. That being said, he does not have an overwhelming fastball. We'll see, you know, how well he can actually balance it once hitters cue in on that split change, whatever it is. Yeah, I I thought it was overall really, really encouraging from the pen. Yeah, I mean, that's the unit that I've kind of talked about being pretty excited about coming into the season. I think they showed they still, they are right on track to be impressive. As we're recording, I should mention Adam Plutko just tossed three more scoreless innings against the Yankees, so... He's now got five and a third scoreless innings. That guy might find himself in the rotation if he's not careful about it. Jesse, what are your thoughts on the bullpen so far? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to, in some ways, echo what Eli is saying here. Uh, One of the things that I am kind of excited about is we have a few guys now in the bullpen that can give us some length. And that's going to be really, really important for this Orioles team, especially with the back end of the rotation, likely going to have some struggles moving forward. We need guys that are going to get us from the third to the fifth or the third to the sixth or the fourth to the seventh, you know, something along these lines, right? We're going to need those guys. And the fact that we have Plutko, maybe we have LeBlanc. We'll see. I haven't seen him yet. We're all skeptical of that. (laughs) We have not seen him yet, but he, when he's good, he is capable of that. And then we had uh, Sulcer the other night who came in went and relieved Zimmerman and threw two innings. There are a few guys in that bullpen 
it's not a bunch of a uh, hundred mile an hour arms out there that throw one inning. We have a, a lot of pitchability guys out there in the pen, probably with the exception of Tate and Scott, who to their credit will be able to give us some length. And it makes me a little more comfortable about the Orioles. We always talk about surviving the season, not having too many injuries, not having allowing our pitchers to be in good situations to not after Kramer gives up five runs in two innings to not say, well, you need to stay out there three more because we just, you just have to. And our bullpen can't withstand with you coming out in the third inning. So the, these kind of situations, uh, the fact that our bullpen does have several guys who can provide us some length uh, that makes me more confident on moving forward that we can get by this season. Yeah, One guy I do want to bring up in particular that I'm a little concerned about is Paul Fry because he had a rough spring through 9.1 innings, but allowed 11 earned runs. And then this first outing yesterday against the Yankees got roughed up a little bit. You know, the Orioles have LeBlanc, a lefty, although, you know, not a typical like lefty specialist type, although that role's not as not what it used to be. And Tanner Scott at the back is a lefty. So what do you got? You know, we can talk about this real quick. Paul Fry, are you kind of worried about what his standing in the major leagues is now? He was really good last year, but relief pitchers, sometimes when you lose it, it's gone. Could he be a guy that's sort of bounced out of here before too long? That's kind of like you said, you, you know, relief pitchers are unpredictable and people always use the Colorado Rockies as an example. You know, they went out and signed four or five relief pitchers to multi-year deals a couple of years ago, expecting to build this powerhouse bullpen with Jake McGee. And it just didn't work. It didn't work at all because relief pitchers are finicky. That being said, it was spring training and it was just one outing. There are Let's see, if tonight is the fifth game, there are 157 left for Paul Fry to try to figure something out. And he has had a couple years of pretty solid performance. Kind of like Jesse was saying, though, you know, he is another pitchability guy. He's not one of these guys who's going to blow somebody away with 98, you know, up in on the wrists. And as a result, when he's not fine-tuned, people are going to hit him around. I think that there's plenty of time for him to figure it out. So I'm not going to freak out about it yet, but obviously it hasn't been good so far. I would just say that I think, um, I think he's at least going to have a month or two at the major league level to try to figure it out. It's not like he's on this. He's in such danger that he goes and has one or two bad outings and then he's going to be released or anything like that. It's not that kind of situation for him. Um, with that said, uh, I don't think the Orioles are going to hold on to him at all costs. Uh, so if there is a situation where we go a month or two into the season, he's really not doing well, um, then I think it's possible that, that the Orioles move on. But he's a veteran pitcher. I'm not overly, overly worried about it. Um, he still has time. He has major league experience to try to work through what the issues that he's, that he's having right now. So, um, and I feel like the Orioles will give him some, some leeway to be able to do that um, within reason. Yeah. And he's still got MLB options. So it's not the type of thing where I think he would be, he's not going to be gone, but yeah, he might bounce the alternate side or bounce to Norfolk or whatever it might be. So um, yeah, no, no reason to push the panic button. Just a guy that's kind of stood out as not living up to the potential we know he has. Okay, so let's talk some negatives. 
beyond Paul Fry. The Orioles offense did erupt for 11 runs on Sunday in Boston. However, other than that, uh, in the first other first three games, uh, they've scored seven total runs. That includes a shutout on Monday night. And then now tonight, as we're recording, they're being shut out again by the Yankees. Uh, the Orioles are one of only three teams entering today to not hit a home run this year. The other two teams are the Mets and the Nationals. The Mets had played one game, and the Nationals had not yet played a game entering to today. So what's going on with the Orioles' offense? Are you encouraged based on an 11-run game on Sunday? Are you worried because there seems to be very little power in this lineup? Jesse, maybe I'll go to you first because I feel like you're chomping at the bit to, to rip into the Orioles' offense. What, what are your thoughts on the O's bat so far? I would say I, I don't think we're going to have a ton of power this year. I don't think we're going to lead the league in home runs or anything like that. But I don't think I don't think we're going to be at the bottom of the list either. I mean, what, what we were playing in Fenway, which granted it is a very small stadium and you would think a couple uh, home runs would be knocked out there. But it does have the funky dimensions with the green wall. And it was very cold the first two games there, which prevented the ball from traveling a bunch. So uh, I'm hoping that these are uh, the explanations for why the Orioles haven't been hitting home runs mainly. But we, we have a couple guys who we can expect, I think, to hit 20 or t- maybe 25 home runs this year. And hopefully they'll, they'll be able to do that. But I, I, it's four games. I don't want to press the panic button with this small of a sample size. If we hit three tomorrow or something like that, all the concerns would disappear for the most part. Yeah, I'm not too alarmed about it. I don't think, like I said, I don't think the team is going to have a ton of power. We didn't expect them to either. It's not that It's not that discouraging to me. Okay, Eli, you were making some faces while Jesse was giving his explanation there. Do you have a, a difference of opinion on the Orioles offense? Yeah, he, uh, the face that I made was he said the green wall. And not the green monster. And I Come just on, had to, oh, had my to bad. point that out. That's kind of ridiculous. Sorry. Yeah, my bad. My yeah. bad. It, yeah. it is. Anyways, <laughs> just want to reassure people that we are baseball fans. We do watch baseball. Uh, <laughs> and yes. Anyways, I agree with them. You know, it's a small sample size. Like, no reason to press the panic button. That being said, you know, this is probably closer to the reality of what the Orioles are than an anomaly. You know, we're sitting here at, Garrett Cole is on 13 punch outs this game as well. The Orioles are not a powerhouse. And they're striking uh, out a bunch yeah, too. Sorry. That's a good I, note. That's right. the bigger problem. That was what I was going to point out. The Orioles are going to punch out. The Orioles are going to come out in games. They're going to be overmatched. Eovaldi was obviously pretty good that first night. And we were fortunate that Garrett Richards absolutely cannot throw a strike. Yeah, <laughs> You know, he's got great command. He just has no idea where the ball is going. And that's why we jumped on him early. Um, a great velocity, you, you know, all this being going. said, Oh God, no. Okay. Yes. Not great. Command. Great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> okay. Does not know where the ball's going. <laughs> so, it, you know, I think that we can expect some of the staples of the Baltimore offense in the Santander's, the Mancini's, the Mount castles to come around and start producing better than they have been in this extremely short sample size. But I do not think that we should by any means be looking at the Orioles to put up 11 runs pretty much any time the rest of this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they lost Renato Nunez, or they didn't lose him. They gave up Renato Nunez, who, you know, had his issues, obviously, but he could hit some home runs. Um, you know, Chris Davis, you would have hoped when you signed him to the contract half a decade ago, he'd be able to give you some pop. 
That obviously isn't happening. Mancini, I think, looks a little rusty. Mountcastle might have a little sophomore slumpage happening early on. And Santander's getting hits, but they're just not uh, they're not home runs. So yeah, I think they I think what Jesse said is is accurate. They'll probably be a little bit more of a middle of the pack, maybe lower middle of the pack type of offense in terms of home runs. But there are some things about the offense that I like. I think the strikeouts are super concerning. And yes, they've faced some guys that have some good stuff. Ivaldi on his day is is really impressive. Obviously, Garrett Cole is one of the five best pitchers in baseball, so I'm not going to worry too much about that. But even on Sunday when they scored the 11 runs, they struck out 15 times. I mean, they're lucky they scored 11 runs, and the Red Sox forgot how to field the ball for half the game too, but they got to clean up the strikeouts. Jesse, you look like you want to say something. Yeah, one of the things I would say about the 15 strikeouts against Boston in that one game I mean, it is bad because the pitching for Boston that game was so horrendous. On the other hand, 10 out of the 15 strikeouts came from three guys, Cisco, Mountcastle, and Ruiz. So they were pretty bulked together. And I think it's a concern for each of those guys. I think Mountcastle is going to have his fair share of strikeouts this year. Cisco, I'm very concerned about with the bat. We'll see what happens. But I, I... I I don't think that it's going to be like every hitter in the lineup. I think we're going to have a few guys that get a bunch of strikeouts throughout the year, which, which is still bad and which is still concerning. And um, 15 is clearly not good, but I I don't think it's as dispersed. It's not as team wide as uh, the 15 strikeouts make it sound. I think. Okay. It's possible. That, that's an interesting angle to take. And I think Cisco is probably not in the lineup most days anyway, if, if Brandon Hyde could pick the nine guys he wants all healthy at the same time, Cisco is probably not in it. And Rio Ruiz is currently batting fifth most days when he plays, which I don't see that lasting the entire summer either. So he may get a few fewer at-bats. Ryan Mountcastle though is going to need to figure it out. I think he's going to be high up in the order most days. So they need to sort something out. Okay. Let's talk Cedric Mullins then because he's on fire at the moment uh, in a good way. Cedric Mullins coming into today. So don't ignore the box score from the Orioles on Tuesday, but he was 10 for 17 with three doubles, four runs, a walk, and only two strikeouts. And that includes uh, the game on Sunday in Boston where he went five for five with all three of his doubles, a couple of singles, a walk and three runs scored. He basically has been the Orioles offense so far you know, it's, it's pretty cool because Mullins this time two years ago was really, really struggling. Eventually he got sent all the way down to Bowie and had to work his way back, came back in 2020, was really impressive. Uh, and then now has basically taken the center field job for his own, especially with Austin Hayes now injured, which we'll talk about here in a second. But are you guys seeing anything in particular from Cedric Mullins that is really standing out to you to be the reason for why he is you know, arguably the Orioles best hitter at this very moment uh, that is different from maybe even 2020 or certainly 2018 last time he was uh, up and slumping. Eli, you want to go first maybe? Yeah. You you know, you use the phrase in particular, and I think that's almost what's coolest about it is that there is nothing, you know, there's no one thing that's standing out to me in particular. He is taking outside pitches and spraying them off the left field wall, you know, off the green monster, not the green wall. Um, He's, you know, like taking a high and inside fastball and he's pulling it down the right field line. It's been impressive. You know, he's had just, you know, solid plate coverage throughout. Obviously we're not expecting him to be banging doubles off the wall all year, but if he can be making solid contact to all fields, 
that is when he's most impressive. And that's when, you know, even if he is just spraying a ball to the shortstop, he can let his speed work for him a little bit. And I think it's been, I was utterly shocked. <laughs> you know, I, I, I definitely did not expect him to come out anything close to as hot as he has. Do I think there'll be regression? Yes. He's not going to hit six something all year, but you know, I, I'm curious to see where it goes and I'm optimistic about where it could go. Yeah, no, it's been super impressive so far. Jesse, I feel like you're a big fan of Cedric Mullins is. So what are you seeing from uh, the center fielder so far? Yeah, kind of like Eli said, I think his plate discipline uh, so far has been really, really good, um, especially that five for five game. Almost all of his at-bats, he was getting deep into the count, uh, which I really appreciate, especially from a leadoff hitter who we expect to work the count and make the pitcher up his pitch count, uh, tire him out. So that's really encouraging. And then, like Eli said, bring the ball. I mean, if this, if Cedric Mullins can be consistent in his approach and spray the ball all over the field, defenses are going to have, are going to dread trying to deal with him because he is so fast. He has the ability to put a bunt down on occasion and add on to that him hitting the ball all over the infield. That's going to be a really, really problematic situation for a lot of defenses, especially if he comes up to bat with runners on base. That's a really encouraging sign. There was a little even opposite field power, like Eli was saying. Granted, the green monster is the green monster uh, is uh, really far in. So him hitting baseballs off the green monster. Well, you know, might but be... no, no, no. The Go thing ahead. I should say about that is this was this was left center field and it starts super, super close. But I mean, is on a pretty direct path to center field. And this was in left center. So it, it was a shot. It's a double in every park. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it is encouraging. And yeah, I mean, I'm liking basically everything uh, so far that I see out of him. We've talked about his defense in the past being a plus defender in center field. So combine that with him hitting the ball. Well, it's going to give the Orioles a lot of optimism for having a leadoff hitter, because this is something that we've struggled with for a long time. And I think just his early performance here, especially with Hayes' injury, which we're going to get into. But his early performance here, I think even without the Hayes injury, he would have a grip on uh, the leadoff spot, at least for the next month or two. Yeah, everything he's done so far has been really impressive. I think I was listening to the pregame uh, on the radio for Sunday. It was, um, and they do like the little manager's show or whatever, where they talk to Brandon Hyde for 10 seconds. And they basically asked him about Cedric Mullins. And I think what he said was he sees a guy who's got a lot more confidence now than he did two years ago. He doesn't really question. He doesn't really worry about his spot in the lineup. He doesn't worry about things, you know, happening around him. He just controls what he can control, goes out there and plays a good center field. Like Eli was saying, hits the ball where it's pitched, which is, you know, a super old baseball saying, but it really applies to what he's doing successfully right now. There's really nobody else pushing him for the top spot at this point. He's the Orioles leadoff hitter for now. And, uh, for the foreseeable future. And I'm, I'm really excited to be wrong about Mullins. I kind of thought of him as a fourth outfielder type for a really long time. Maybe that is what he is long-term. Jesse and I were talking on the phone before we got on here. And I said, maybe he is a starter for like, maybe not a division winner, but still a major league baseball team. And maybe that is what his future is. I hope he proves me wrong on that too. Because, you know, if he hits 524 all year, he can start on any team in the league. Really enjoying watching Cedric Mullins play. And, you know, right now he's 
been the only consistent part of the Orioles offense. And I'm hopeful that it, uh, well, hopefully the Orioles offense gets more consistent in general, but hopefully he can keep uh, smacking the ball around the yard because he's really fun to watch. He's definitely one of the most exciting players that we, we are observing right now. Yeah. He plays a, a fun brand of baseball. He can, he plays really good defense in center. He's speedy on the base paths, puts the ball in play. Um, he hasn't really dropped. I don't think he's dropped down any of his bunts like he did from last year um, so far. So once he nope. brings that element back into his game, that adds kind of another uh, dimension to it. But yeah, I, I love watching him play. Okay. So I've seen him, yeah. I've seen him just to, uh, to be clear, I've seen him attempt some bunts, uh, some sack bunts. I've seen him show bunt and stuff like that, but yes, I haven't seen him. He hasn't gotten any uh, bunt base hits yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm sure it'll happen at uh, some point. But okay, let's uh, talk infield now. Um, Second base, the Orioles throughout the offseason, it seemed, and into the the spring training season, it looked like Yolmer Sanchez was going to be the Orioles' second baseman most days this summer. Uh, Then at the very end of the spring, they DFA'd Sanchez in favor of Plutko, who we talked about a few minutes ago. And now it looks like Rio Ruiz is going to the Orioles' second baseman most days. Not every day. Pat Vileka might play there. Ramon Urias has already played a game there. But Rio's looked pretty good so far. He's made a couple diving catches, a couple over-the-head catches in Boston. He's not hitting great so far, but Rio Ruiz never really hits great, so that's not a super big surprise. But Eli, you know, what do you think about Ruiz so far, his work at second base, and do you think he can kind of stick there for uh, the Orioles this year? Yeah, I- the phrase that I have written down is impressively average uh, on defense. You know, like you said, he's made a couple pretty flashy plays, but really, I mean, I've been surprised that he is just making the plays that a normal second baseman would make. You know, he is, he was a corner infielder. Nobody ever considered him a plus defender over there. Nobody ever considered him particularly fleet of foot. And he's had some, you know, like, pretty good movement to either side. Uh, I think he's looked good, Uh, you know, with the glove, I should qualify. (laughs) Um, I think the bat is a concern. I think the bat is exactly what it's going to be the last two years. We talked about it in the off season plenty. I think we have seen what Rio Ruiz is, and I think it's not something that's particularly interesting to me. That being said, I think Hyde likes breaking up the middle of the lineup with a lefty. Uh, I think that's part of the motivation here. I don't fully like it that much because we have Mullins, who's a lefty. We've got Santander and Galvis, who are switch hitters. Uh, I don't see the necessity for it so much. I think I would prefer Pat Vileka there still, but Rio hasn't been bad. And that's a credit to him for you know switching to a new position about two days before the season starts and stepping in and executing. Yeah, I mean, what I will say is I think Brandon Hyde's a liar. He was telling the press like, the week before the season, oh yeah, don't read too much into Rio playing second base. Like that's just going to be like an emergency situation. Right. <laughs> almost every single game there. Jesse, what are your thoughts on Ruiz so far? Him moving to second base uh, definitely gives him more of an opportunity to stay in the major leagues. Whether he will be able to capitalize on that or not is still a big question mark. But he doesn't hit well enough to be a third baseman in the majors in order to stay in the majors. He would have to find a different position. Second base looks like it could work for him again. I don't know how long he's going to stay there, 
But the Orioles don't really have Urias would be the closest uh, competition that he has for the position and maybe Vileka too. But I think Vileka is going to be moving around a bit. So I'm not sure. And we're going to find out. But I, I think that he uh, is in a beneficial situation because I do think Hyde is going to give him the opportunity to prove himself. The fact that he's hitting number five in the order uh, is a pretty good indication that Hyde has and the organization has some sort of belief in him um, and that they're willing to give him an opportunity. So I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to get pushed out of second base uh, very easily. So I feel like he has a good opportunity to stay there for the Orioles for a while. Yeah, I mean, it probably would have changed things if somebody like Jemai Jones or Ryland Bannon had a really impressive spring and it just didn't really happen because I believe those would be the two guys. I know Jones has bounced between the infield and the outfield, so he might be an outfielder long term. But I think those would be the two internal guys that the Orioles would like to see push him for the position. And they might. I'm not so sure Rio Ruiz will be the second baseman by the end of the year. But yeah, I mean, so far, I can't really complain. I think his defense is about what we were getting from Hanser Alberto. You know, not that Hanser Alberto was a bad infielder. He was fine. But I would probably rather have Hanser Alberto's bat at second base than Rio Ruiz's bat at second base. So that's where that's where the move to DFA Sanchez and then put Ruiz there and also DFA Alberto. Like the, it doesn't the equation doesn't make sense to me. Because just DFA Ruiz and just keep Hans or I don't know. But yeah, Rio's been good. He's he's made the plays you want him to, and he's just not a very good hitter. But if he could be like a 90-ish WRC plus guy and play adequate defense at second base, then it's probably fine. But again, they could have just kept Hans or Alberto if this is what they were going to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think Alberto was due a raise – and, yeah. you, you know, Alberto had hit arbitration and Rio still has not. And I think that's like the only calculus in their mind. I don't know how, you know, like I, it, it's, you know, it seems ridiculous that this franchise that's worth almost a billion and a half dollars is fighting over, you know, like the difference between 700,000 between Alberto and Ruiz. But that's really what it is. I mean, they're just they're cutting costs. Yeah, no, that's a good point that like as a, from a fan perspective, I don't even like I, I do, I get the difference. You're totally right. But yeah, you normally you think of like, oh, it's a $15 million guy versus a $3 million guy. Not a, not a $1.5 million guy versus a $750,000 guy. You're right. That makes sense. But yeah, Rio, you know, it's fine. Nothing to, nothing to wow you, but I think he's been better there than I expected it would be. So I'll say that. All right. Moving back to the outfield for a second, as we talked about a couple minutes ago, Austin Hayes is out with a 10 I'm sorry, with a hamstring injury, which is going to push him to the 10-day IL. And uh, Ryan McKenna has been called up from the taxi squad. Austin Hayes is basically, it sounds like the new Nolan Reimold with all this potential, but he gets hurt every couple of months anyway. So, you know, where's your head at on Hayes here, Jesse? You know, are you still thinking, okay, once he gets back, plug him right into the the outfield and he's going to be our everyday left fielder? Do we need to baby him? Sort of where's your head at with Hayes? I mean, I think... uh it is showing that the injuries are going to be a problem for him. It seems like that at least Um, it's been really frustrating. I'm sure for him uh, that he hasn't been able really to find any rhythm when he's done well and performed in injury has followed almost all the time. And that's, that's gotta be really upsetting. 
I mean, he obviously wasn't hitting very well before his injury. He wasn't playing very well. So, yeah, I think the Orioles might take a step back and might try to address. I I think the Orioles first priority should be to try to address his health issues, his long term health issues rather than rushing him back. I don't see any reason the Orioles should rush him back. But then once he actually gets back, I don't know if he's going to be the everyday left fielder, but I think he will see playing time, his share of playing time at least. Part of the way I look at it is, you know, we see Hayes consistently getting more and more hurt. And I think the way that the Orioles might push it is rather than, I mean, really rather than using him in the outfield with any kind of frequency, you make Mountcastle the default left fielder. You, you know, you have... Mountcastle, Mullins, Santander across the outfield, and you put Austin Hayes into almost exclusively a DH role in an effort to protect him a little bit more. That's like Jesse said, the injuries have been so constant and he is still a young dude. You know, I don't want to slap him with the Rymold label yet, you know, cause you're hopeful that it's just been bad luck throughout, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It, it's been happening a lot and it's been the one constant in his time in the MLB. So you need to, you should try to find some ways to spell his body a little bit. And I think uh, DH could be a good way to do that. Similar to the Yankees who are playing right now, you know, when Stanton had thousands of injuries over the past five years, he's just an everyday DH now at this point. Although, you know, they throw him out in left field every once in a while. If you need to spell Santander a day, if you need Mountcastle to have a day off, you can switch them. But uh, I say, yeah, I mean, let Hayes get, his body in a rhythm as the DH, let him keep hitting and we'll swap him out as necessary to get that defensive value. Yeah. So I think that's a good point on Hayes. Uh, I I do wonder how severe the hamstring injury was because it did kind of come to, it was very weird. The Yankees had announced their lineup and then like it had been hours. The Orioles hadn't announced their lineup. It seemed like maybe they were letting Hayes test it out, run, run on the field, do something to make sure, to determine what they were going to do. So it could be a minor thing and they just want him to be safe about it and go do some stretches to take a day off, whatever it takes. And yeah, just take the 10 days and we'll get you back here. And maybe he's ready to go at the 10 day mark. I'm not sure. Like they're kind of slow playing with DJ Stewart. It could be something like that, but yeah, I'm not sure if I'm ready to say like he's the exclusive DH because yeah, I do want his bat in there, but a lot of his value comes from his fielding ability too. I think he's an above average fielder. So I think if you take that part out, you are you're losing a lot that he brings to the team. But I don't think it's unreasonable to say, like, we're going to get Hayes into the DH mix a little more frequently than we originally or normally would. I think he's not a guy based on his skill set. You would really DH very much because he's young, athletic, plays a good defensive, uh, plays an important defensive position in the corner outfield and can handle it uh, pretty well. But given where we're at, yeah, you got to kind of get him into the mix. And I think you got to say Mountcastle's got to get out in the field a little bit because although he's certainly not as good of a fielder, uh, he hasn't shown a the proneness to injury that Austin Hayes has. So, yeah, I mean, I'm disappointed in it, but not necessarily surprised by it. Yeah, one thing I want to add is that I agree. I don't want Austin Hayes at the end of this year to be the day-in, day-out DH. And I – Yeah. So I should clarify, like, I want that to be a situation where we can use sort of the middle of the season with him DHing more frequently than not as a way of getting his body like into the rhythm and kind of just 
giving it a break for part of a, a full 162 game season, which he still hasn't been a part of yet, if I'm remembering right. So, it, you, you know, like I, I don't mean it as a permanent solution. I mean it as a means to an end, which is hopefully, you know, his body finds a good rhythm, understands, you know, he finds a good routine, stretches for an hour and a half every day, you know, whatever. <laughs> there is a certain amount, I mean, not a certain amount, there's a very, very huge component of playing in the major leagues that is understanding what your routine is to get yourself ready day in, day out, and even beyond that to keep yourself healthy throughout the course of the entire year. And I hope that we could use a lighter workload on him in the form of a DH to get him to that point. No, I, th- I think it's a, it's a valid uh, option to go. What I will say for Hayes last year, I think the injury was a broken rib from a fastball to the ribs. And it's like, that's one of those right, freaky right. things that he probably would have been fine the whole year, but it, that happened. Uh, Jess, what do you want to say? I was just going to say that the, the one interesting thing I think, uh, and I think it is an important note is didn't Hayes pull himself out of the game on Sunday after he uh, after he got into second base, at least I think that uh, Josh had mentioned that uh, that he had pulled himself out okay. of the game after. So I I don't have confirmation on that, but that was my impression at least, or that was my understanding. Yeah, th- that could be, and that could be him knowing his body better than letting on. Hopefully, he'll be back here in a, in a couple couple weeks though. But McKenna, anybody excited about McKenna? Yeah, he, he's pretty consistently been one of the Orioles' top 20 guys or so in the farm system. And, I, yeah, I'm excited. Let's see what he's got. Yeah, I think he's a good good bench piece. Jesse? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's good that we're going to be able to integrate him into the lineup and into the outfield most of the time, at least, or at least some of the time. We have to see him at some point, and we might as well now, especially with the Hayes injury. Yeah, we'll see. He played one game so far, uh, one walk, but the entire offense was was terrible. So uh, we'll see. I'm sure he'll get in there a bunch these next couple weeks. All right, Sean Armstrong, let's talk about him. We've touched on him a little bit earlier anyway. Back from paternity leave, Cole Salser demoted, and then Armstrong really struggled in his first outing. What do you think about the move just to get Armstrong back on the team? Do you think Salser was the right move? Would you have done something else? What are your thoughts on on the Armstrong move? Eli, you want to go first on that maybe? Yeah, I think Salser was the right move. I think that, you know, Salser is, he's a combination of one of the older guys in the pen and one of the less interesting guys, so to speak. You you know, like Sean Armstrong is older, but Sean Armstrong has a pretty proven track record of consistent and above average performance in the MLB. So, you know, Salser is this combination of, oh, he was really interesting last year. Tyler just called out. <laughs> Rio Ruiz just hit a bomb. <laughs> uh, the Orioles are only losing seven to two now. Anyways, wow. First um, home run of the year, though, boys. That's big. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, while we're on the topic of this game, Wade LeBlanc came in, and he's the reason it's now seven to two instead of four to two. Oh. <laughs> so, we had been talking about how we hadn't seen Wade LeBlanc, and uh, he is still Wade LeBlanc. Real well, if it was four to two, if it if it if it was still four to two, though, Eli, we might be seeing a Raldis Chapman right now, and uh, I'm true. glad that our hitters don't have to uh, go up there against them. So for their safety, <laughs> that's valid. That's valid. All right. Anyways, back to Sean Armstrong and Cole Solcer. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that Solcer was the right move. Uh, Tyler aptly pointed out in one of our text conversations that. 
we let Solskjaer ride for two innings. That's not something he pretty much ever did last year. That's not something he's accustomed to doing. And it probably would have taken him out of commission for a couple of days. And Tyler was like, does that mean he's the guy tomorrow? And yeah, it, it, it does. You know, we just kind of, we used him up. He didn't do an extremely, or he, no, he pitched he's two scoreless. He two was scoreless, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was fine. But I, he was a little bit wild with the fastball and I'm not overly interested in Cole Sulzer, you know, in the long term. So I fully agree. I think he was the guy leave younger, more interesting, more potential arms in the pen to keep developing. Yeah. And of course, it's all it's also a situation of options. So and because he has options available, he's he's the one to go. So I'm sure we'll see him again. So he'll, he'll be back up at some point. But uh, yeah. No, that's salsa. This is the real, the real baseball nerd stuff. Is talking about bullpen moves, who's rested, who's got options, all that stuff. Only that's why we put it at the end of the podcast. If you're still listening in, an hour in, you probably care about this stuff. But everybody else has probably turned us off long ago. But yeah, we'll see. Armstrong, he's fine. Salsa, he's fine. We'll see. We'll see how it goes from here. But yeah, I mean that's that's the the last topic of action so far. We got the home opener coming up this week. Eli, I know you're not going to it because you're down in Florida. Jesse, are you? You're not going to the home opener, are you? No, I am not. I've okay. Yeah, no. Neither am I. I've work, and but it, I'm excited to see Camden Yards with a couple thousand fans in there. It's going to be socially distanced. Hopefully, a lot of people are vaccinated, so that'll be cool. It'll be about eleven thousand people there, and it'll just be nice to see fans in the stands again. And um, yeah, I'm excited. Is there anything you're looking to maybe glean from opening day? Matt Harvey starts. Anything, Jesse? You really want to learn from that day? Uh, not in particular. Uh, I mean, we'll see what Harvey can do. Maybe his first performance was kind of a fluke. This will be the second time the Red Sox get to see him. So if he goes out there and has a good start, that is going to be encouraging because they just saw him. They should be as prepared as basically a baseball team can be to face a starting pitcher. So um We'll see. I'm I'm not going to get overly excited or overly crushed, no matter how he does. Uh, but obviously, because it's the opener, we hope that uh, he does well and the Orioles can win. Yeah, no, the pageantry of opening day is always always really exciting. Eli, uh, any anything from you you want to expect on the home opener? Uh, no expectations, but it's kind of pleasant. We're playing the Red Sox again, and might get a dub out of it. True, it I just feel, feel good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't feel as confident facing the Yankees, but the Red Sox look like they might be on our level this year. So uh, hopefully we can we can get out of there with a win. All right, so we'll get out of here with one final segment, and it's going to be real quick from us, but hopefully we get some participation from the fans. Uh, we're going to do this every week. It's called Guess That Oriole. No Googling or binging, if you prefer to bing. No judgment. Uh, Yahoo gonna... Answers is going away. That's true. Sorry, Yahoo Answers is going away, so they don't have to... We don't have to warn you about that one. <laughs> okay. It's really, it's, it's, a, it's a monopoly or a duopoly, I guess, with Bing and, and Google. And it's really a monopoly with Google. Just don't, do, don't use any of them. Don't text your friends. Don't do any of that stuff. What we're going to do is give you three facts about a former Oriole. We'll give them, they're pretty, they're pretty big facts. So you should be able to guess it. But three facts about an Oriole, current or former, doesn't matter. And then you just have to guess what it is. You have to tweet at us. We are at the warehouse pod. We will post a tweet with these facts. Um, So find that tweet, reply to us. And if you're correct, we will shout you out on the show and you'll become part of our little family. Isn't that nice? 
Isn't that nice? And if people get engaged enough, maybe we'll come up with some physical prizes that you actually care about. Does that sound good? All right. So I'll, I'll give, I'll give the first fact and then Jesse, you'll give the second fact. And then Eli, you'll give the third fact. So the first fact about this person is they played three seasons with the Orioles from 1999 through 2001. The second fact is that in 2000, he led the Orioles with 37 stolen bases. The third fact, and in my opinion, the most interesting, two of his children are professional athletes. One plays baseball and one plays basketball. Ooh, do you know who it is, fans and listeners? You probably do. Don't Google it. Do not type in google.com and try and find these facts. But go on our Twitter, like I said, at the warehouse pod, find the tweet where we posted the three facts, reply to it. And if you got it correct, we will shout you out on the show next week. And if nobody does it, it's going to be very embarrassing for us. Yay. Be <laughs> so pretty sad. We're, we're going sad. on the honor system here. So yeah. we're going on the I mean, honor system. There's no monetary so we're trusting prize. You all. Yeah, yeah, there's no monetary prize. So it's not that big of a deal. You'll just like, you'll feel shame on yourself. So just don't do that. Yeah. If you Google it, just to be shouted out on a podcast that might be listened to 10 people <laughs> might be listened Whoa. to by 10 people next week. That's on you. Whoa. We had over 200 downloads last week, Eli. How dare you? How dare you? We're a juggernaut. We're I, a juggernaut eight, six, cause... seven, eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get involved. It's a lot of, you know, we'll try to do some of these fun things. If you haven't noticed, we've tried to be more active on social this year because the Orioles Twitter family community is really fun. So we're going to try and get involved. So tweet at us, follow us and get, uh, become a part of the shenanigans. All right. Anything else to add about the Orioles or, or anything else before we kind of just give the wrap up of what we would like people to do? Nope. All right. So what we'd like you to do is like we said, follow us on social media at the warehouse pod. Also subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app. And if you can give us five stars or a thumbs up or whatever, um, whatever is the way to tell us we're doing a good job. You can also follow us on YouTube. We post the podcast there and sometimes there's video version. So if you want to see what we look like, head over there. Um, something else we want you to follow if you're so inclined is at Birdland Sports on Twitter. That is the home of Birdland Tonight, the fan run uh, post game show of the Baltimore Orioles this year. Our own Jesse was on the show on uh, Sunday. Jess, how was that experience for you? Uh, it was cool. I uh, we had we were having uh, a little technical difficulty that hopefully we're going to clear up for the next time. Um, I don't know the guys that I co-hosted with too well, uh, so it was kind of interesting the dynamic, um, and it's going to be interesting to kind of mix and match uh, who does these post game shows um, and on what nights. Um, but of course, uh, it, it was different to talk about like a specific game in extra, extra detail, uh, which I appreciated doing, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, it was fun. And it was I was fortunate that I was able to do it when the Orioles uh, on the final day when the Orioles swept the Red Sox. So it was just yeah. positive all around. Nice, nice. Yeah, we, we all Ooh, ever. Three... Oh, go ahead, Eli. I was just going to ask, whoever would have thought that Jesse would have been a fan of extra, extra detail? <laughs> I whoever know. would have guessed? 
Yeah, who would have thought that? Based on the hundreds of hours of conversations we've had with him, he's not a not, he's not a details guy typically. Um, but yeah, that that's pretty cool. We all, if you guys remember, a couple weeks ago, we were on the Birdland Tonight feed as part of their podcast takeover week, and now season is here. It's all post game shows, and Eli and I will will both be getting involved at some point uh, this season, and I'm sure Jesse will get back in the rotation here as well. Uh, but go check them out. And then the final thing I want you guys to go follow is our website. Uh, it's on Substack. So it's the warehousepod.substack.com. Uh, you can just bookmark that and go back and check it every so often if you'd like, or you can submit your email address and you'll get notified via email when we post an episode or when we post anything else on there. So uh, go check that out. Eli, where can people follow you on various social media platforms? You can follow me at Ginzy55 on Instagram and at Elijah Ginsburg on Twitter. Nice. And Jesse, how about you? People can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Juggernaut8678. Very nice. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Ty Young and over at CamdenChat.com for some Orioles blogs. Yeah, that's it for this week. Come back next week. We will reveal the Oriole, the guest that Oriole. We will talk home opener and hopefully talk about a few more home runs in addition to the one Rio Ruiz just hit while we were recording. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli.